What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and today we have a classic middle of August redraft banger. Today we're going to talk through my top 10 must-draft sleepers that your friends have probably never heard of for 2023 fantasy football. And I'm not being wild by saying that. There's a lot of rookies on this list that I'm sure a lot of more casual home league players haven't heard of. So I want to make sure you guys are all ready to go so that when the late rounds hit, you guys can get this year's Jamal Williams, Justin Fields, Samaj P. Ryan. We saw a bunch of league winners last year in the late rounds. You had as well uh, Christian Watson. You had like Jeff Wilson had some great weeks last year. Jarek McKinnon. You can win leagues in the late rounds of your draft. So I want to give you guys some names. We're going to throw 10 out there today. As always, if you enjoy, make sure down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Now the parameters for this video to qualify as a sleeper, you have to be going outside of the top 10 rounds or 120 picks, 10 times 12 on Underdog Fantasy. As always, if you're not there already, make sure you check out Underdog Fantasy. Use promo code RONDO. Match your deposit up to $100. You can hop in there and get drafting. Practice for your homely. The ADP is as sharp as ever. Thousands upon thousands of drafts are happening every single day. 18 plus years old, 21 plus years old. So the ADP is extremely, extremely sharp. And you can then get used to those rooms, draft for multiple draft positions, and then take it to your home league and get ready to dominate. We had a high stakes draft the other day. It was actually literally yesterday, so Sunday night. I was in there and literally through like our first seven or eight rounds, I just took the best player that would have been the highest ranked player on underdog. We got like seven guys who got, went in like the top 55 on underdog and you can just get a feel for, okay, JSN is a fifth round pick on underdog. It got to the seventh round and I was like, JSN still there. We're going to take him. So you just kind of get a feel for, you know, players shouldn't be available in this range uh, in your home league and you can kind of adapt to that. Now I will say for the new people, again, if you're new, Promo code Ron gets you deposit match up to $100. There is a puppy out right now. That is the single best way to get involved on Underdog if you are new. It is just $5 to enter with like hundreds of thousands of dollars in prizes. It is the perfect tournament for the beginner fantasy football underdog guy. The puppies don't last a while. It's probably going to be out less than a week. I'm telling you, if you want to get in on the puppy, which is rare, they only drop them a few times a year, make sure you check out underdogfantasy.com. I'll have a link in the description in the comment section down below. Now, our first player is Damian Harris. Damian Harris. Now, we've been talking a lot about this guy. He goes in roughly the 11th round here, and he keeps slipping. And the reason that Damian Harris keeps slipping is because he's a little bit banged up right now, and Latavius Murray has gotten some pretty good uh, reviews from camp. This is Sam Sherman on Twitter. He said, sounds like Damian Harris suffered a minor lower body injury in practice yesterday. Given the RB2 competition is still up in the air between Harris and Murray, any missed time would be a bad sign for Harris. He said uh, the report from Athletic was Harris attempted to do some stretches as he was getting checked on by the athletic training staff and seemed to notion motion to his right knee a handful of times. Harris did not take another rep the remainder of the day, which allowed Murray to operate as a team's second running back behind him. I guess they were talking about some sort of undrafted free agent afterwards, but it's definitely not a good sign, right? He's hurt. He's now potentially RB3 on the depth chart. Pretty much the, the battle at camp has been Latavius Murray versus Damian Harris for the short yardage stuff. And here's my take on it. It's not a good sign, but I'll buy the discount. This was a guy that I was taking in the ninth round uh, in like June. So 11th round prices now. He's even falling to the 12th sometimes. I'll scoop him the, up there all day long. I just struggle to believe that a 33-year-old Latavius Murray would be the preferred back. Now, maybe early on, because Damian Harris has some injury issues, maybe they want to rely on the, uh, I mean, true veteran at 33 years old. But if you draft Damian Harris, right, in the 11th round, 
you don't need him to start in week one. You just hope over the course of a season he emerges as the between the 20s grinder and like goal line back for the Bills. And that's still very much in play in my eyes. Now, of course, the concern with the Bills is Josh Allen has been their goal line back the last few years. But this is a team that's going to be in the red zone a ton. They were top eight in red zone trips last year. And there's going to be plenty of opportunities for easy scores. And there's going to be... I truly, truly think one of these years the Bills are going to figure out that the reason that they keep on blowing up down the stretch after starting out strong is because they're overusing Josh Allen, right? Last year he had the UCL injury. They're going to eventually figure out that in a random week six game against the Cardinals where it's a blowout, they're not going to ram Josh Allen between the tackles on third and goal. They're going to start giving that to Damian Harris, who Damian Harris is the best pure running back that they've had, best pure rusher that they've had at running back since Josh Allen was drafted by the team, right? We had a lot of games over the last two years where teams would just sit back and too high, dare them to run the ball. They couldn't. It would kind of trip them up sometimes. Now, Damian Harris is the perfect sort of counter for that, and that's why I love his fit here. We just saw him in 2021, not even, you know, two years ago, have over 1,000 rushing yards and over 15 touchdowns on a Patriots offense with rookie Mac Jones. I, I think Damian Harris has upside to be this year's Jamal Williams, and that's really exciting, right? This is a team that can, is going to score a ton. There's going to be a lot of efficiency, a lot of yards here. And even if he's not the between-the-tackles guy, grinder, in week one, I truly do think over the course of a season that he can carve out that role and be meaningful down the stretch of a fantasy season. And the reason I think this is because I think he's a talented player uh, in terms of, like, pure rushing. Jacob Sanderson, somebody we have on the channel all the time, and someone that I think understands running back efficiency more than almost anybody out there. Uh, so Damian Harris ranked in the top quartile and rushes over expected percentage all three years he qualified. Rushing Rushes over expected percentages is pretty much success rate. So on a given play, he's expected how many yards? How many times is he going over that? And all the time, he is going above expected. Now, he's not going to rip off like a 55-yard run on what should have been like a five-yard run. But it, what should have been a five-yard run, a lot of times he'll pick up like seven, eight, nine. He's just consistently getting more than what's blocked, which is good. He's a very consistent, steady Eddie runner. And that's important for a team like the Bills who need that between the tackles. Now, he's also produced between 0.4 and 0.67 rush yards over expectation each of those years. Uh, two out of three years, he was in the top quartile. And then two out of three years, he's ranked top 10 in PFF rush grade. This is his last three years in the NFL. So he's good. He gets what's blocked. Of course, he's not like the greatest running back of all time, but he is a good running back. In my eyes, the best pure rusher that Josh Allen has had between the tackles. So that's exciting. Again, I think he has a path to like 1,000 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns. Could be this year's Jamal Williams. I'm buying the dip. Uh, on this like little knee injury slash like Latavius Murray getting some buzz. Now I will say, if you're playing in a deep league, like an underdog 18 round league, you can throw a 18th round flyer on Latavius Murray. I think it's just, uh, I'll just bet against, as I think James Cook is interesting, but I'll bet against James Cook being the preferred between the tackles and goal line back. He's really undersized for all that. I'm open to the idea of him being like almost like uh, the Jarek McKinnon of this offense and have a really exciting role with like some Eckler type upside, but on like the 40 yard line on like second and nine. I, I don't know that James Cook is going to get the carry out of like 12 personnel uh, and bang between the tackles. I think that that's going to be Damian Harris eventually. Now, the second player we're going to talk about here is Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren is going in the 12th round and Warren is a guy that has a lot of juice. He reminds me a lot of kind of the Pollard versus Zeke uh, situation we had a few years ago where Jalen Warren is just a lot more explosive than Najee Harris. Now, I want to preface this. I want to preface this. I am not saying that Jalen Warren is going to overtake Najee Harris. That's not likely at all. But what I am saying is that Jalen Warren is going to be very annoying to Najee, Najee Harris owners out there. Where if we look here, this is a really cool chart from Tej uh, Analytics. I believe 
Tej Seth, he worked at PFF. I think that maybe he's at Sumer Sports now. He's really, really sharp, really good with that uh, data analysis stuff. And he has this chart of EPA per rush. That's expected points added per rush, which is pretty much per rush. How are you benefiting your team over expectation in terms of like real life football? You know, on a given drive, if you rush the ball, are you are you doing better than you're expected in terms of, you know, pushing the, the ball downfield, converting a first down, all of that, and then rushing yards over expected per rush. So on a given play, you're expected how many yards? How many yards are you going over that on a per rush basis? And Jalen Warren is in this top right uh, quartile in the, a range of like Brees Hall and Nick Chubb and Tony Pollard and Aaron Jones. It's a really good cohort, you know, Austin Eckler. It's a really good cohort to be a part of where Jalen Warren is. Najee Harris is more in the, you know, he is in the bad part. So he's bad in both EPA per rush and rushing yards over expected. This was in 2022. And you can see Najee Harris. I mean, John, that, that was a banged up Jonathan Taylor last year. Uh, you have like Alvin Kamara. You have like David Montgomery, Kenyon Drake, Zach Moss in this area, like Dalvin Cook. Like a lot of these guys were not great runners last year of the football and that's kind of where uh Najee Harris has slotted over the last couple of years like if we look here as well this is when we just break down the Steelers backfield rushing yards over expectation Jalen Warren absolutely murdered Najee Harris in that last year and then EPA per rush Jalen Warren had 0.11 EPA per rush Najee Harris had minus 10 now Jalen Warren 12th in explosive run percentage Najee Harris was 62nd last year like he just has a lot more juice uh, you can also see as well where it's like people love to say, okay, well, Najee was hurt last year. Well, his rookie year was also bad. Minus point, he was still minus expected rushing yards uh, per attempt, and he was still minus EPA per rush in his rookie year. Like Jalen Warren was still better. Now, of course, it's a small sample on Warren, and you give him more volume, and it likely doesn't stick over uh, an entire sample. But, you know, as a change of pace back, he offers a lot more juice than what Najee can give you. He's also a more efficient receiving back, this Jalen Warren guy. Uh, he was 20th in yards per out run to Najee Harris's 48th last year. He also had the fourth highest PFF receiving grade last year to Najee Harris's 26th. Now, again, I just want to make it clear that I'm not saying that Jalen Warren <clears throat> is ever going to get to a spot where he is going to overtake Najee Harris, but he is a very, very capable back with a lot of juice. And Najee Harris is a guy who is a product of volume, right? He was a good fantasy pick in 2021. He was a bad fantasy pick in 2022. The difference is that in 2021, he was first in both snap share and opportunity share at like 85% of the snaps. That's an absurd number that, again, that's what it took for him to be good in fantasy football. I don't think that there's any chance he gets close to 85% uh, of the snaps uh, in 2023. Like if we just look last year down the stretch, this is uh, Dwayne McFarland's utilization report. So this is weeks 14 through 17. So right at the tail end of the year, you can see Najee Harris, it, it was more of a 65-35 split, right? 56% of the snaps in week 14. It kind of hovered around 65%. Like, this was a pretty true 65-35% split, right? That's the uh, snaps column. Now, I also highlighted the long down and distance and two-minute drill stuff because this is what's important to me. Jalen Warren, right? Najee Harris, a big part of his upside is that he catches a lot of passes, right? He had a lot of targets in his first year. It went down last year and went down because of Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren was at 80% or more of the long down and distance snaps. So on third downs, they preferred Jalen Warren last year down the stretch. The only thing that Najee had a leg up on was two-minute drill snaps, and even then they kind of split it, where uh, Jalen Warren had 100% of the two-minute drill snaps in week 14, and then Najee Harris was the preferred guy in week 16 and 17. So that's now two fronts. Jalen Warren's going to get some touches between the tackles, right, as a change of pace back. He's going to be the long down and distance third down guy. And then there's a chance that he earns the two-minute drill stuff as well. So we, we can go from, you know, again, Najee Harris hit at like an 85% snap share. Now we're probably affecting more of a 65-35, which means that Najee Harris has to be efficient. And then there's a chance that Jalen Warren plays his way into like a 60-40, a 55-45, something like that. And 
that's interesting, right? If it's a 45-55 split, that's somebody that you can kind of start on a weekly basis as like an RB3. And if not, you still have a high PPR upside handcuff that has juice, can catch passes. And we've seen in the past where when Mike Tomlin's running back goes down, he just makes the next guy an absolute workhorse. You saw with James Conner. If you guys remember back in the day when Le'Veon Bell got suspended, they threw in like an old washed up D'Angelo Williams and he was like an RB1 in fantasy. We've seen this before with Mike Tomlin. You get somebody that could maybe possibly be a startable option in PPR. And if not, I think that he's probably one of the most valuable handcuffs in fantasy that can kind of be that instant James Conner type fill-in and give you RB1 numbers the minute the starter goes down. Now, our third sleeper that I like here is Marvin Mims. Marvin Mims going in the 13th round. We've talked about uh, Marvin Mims a ton. Now, he might slip a little bit because he didn't play with the starters in the preseason, right? The preseason, you had Judy Sutton, Callaway, Lil Jordan Humphrey. Crazy name. Lil Jordan is his name. But... I'm not all that concerned. Like, we've seen rookies not like Justin Jefferson didn't start in week one. We saw uh, Ola BC Johnson was like the guy who got buzzed and everything. The reason we like rookie wide receivers isn't because they're going to play right away, it's because during the end of the season, and we talk about this at nauseum, they are late season hammers. We saw it with Christian Watson last year. Before that, you saw it with Amon Ross St. Brown. Before that, we've seen it with like Debo Samuel and AJ Brown and Brandon Ayuk and all these guys who were monsters as rookies. They do it on the back half of the season because they're learning the offense, they're getting routes, they're trying to get onto the field, and then they put it all together and they crush down the stretch. That's the whole point. So not being with the starters in the first preseason game, I don't really care when it comes to Marvin Mims. Like the, When you draft a rookie, you're betting on the talent, and if I'm going to draft Marvin Mims in like the 13th round, I'm betting that he can beat out Marquez Callaway and Lil Jordan Humphrey and essentially ball out. Now, the reason that we're betting on Marvin Mims is because there isn't a clear wide receiver three. I think he can ascend that depth chart very easily. And he's a good talent. He's not like a bulletproof, you know, prospect profile or anything, but he is a good prospect. He was a second round pick. I like the talent uh, he produced early breakout. He was a round two draft pick. His RS grade has him as a gold, which is pretty solid for a second round draft pick. And he gets these comps of like Deshaun Jackson, Brandon Cooks, like these small field stretchers, uh, that are pretty exciting, right? Like, he's athletic. He has, like, four, three burners. Uh, he's, like, what's that, 70 inches? He's, like, 5'10", 183 pounds. He's one of these, uh, like, kind of like Tyler Lockett, John Brown, T.Y. Hilton, you know, Brandon Cooks, Deshaun Jackson, that are kind of the perfect uh, fit for Russell Wilson as well, which is sort of exciting for me, where he had Tyler Lockett for all those years, where he was that undersized downfield possession guy. And Marvin Mims is a very, very similar wide receiver to a guy like Tyler Lockett. So I'm really excited to kind of see how he fits into this offense. He has probably the most speed among all of their wide receivers out there. You get this bounce back Denver offense where you go from Nathaniel Hackett having one of the worst coaching jobs ever to Sean Payton, who's a pretty good schemer. So if we see a bounce back here, Marvin Mims could be one of the main beneficiaries and be a nice hammer down the stretch. Now our fourth sleeper here, is Sam Laporta. Now we're going to sort of just get into rookies here, but this is a 13th rounder on underdog. He's probably going to go undrafted in your redraft league, but if you really sleep on tight end, I don't hate the idea of going like Dalton Schultz or like a high floor option like Tyler Higby or Dalton Schultz, and then on the back end, you swing for upside with the Sam Laporta. But generally speaking, rookies have high upside. Now, rookie tight ends are tough bets to make. People don't really like making these bets, but Sam Laporta, I think, is really worth it. Again, he's going to be free in your home leagues. Uh, and he's an athletic freak. He's one of these undersized guys at 6'3", 245, which is good, right? That means he's going to run routes and catch passes. Uh, sub 4'6", 40. Like, he looks like one of these George Kittle, Evan Ingram, Aaron Hernandez, like 6'3", move tight end that can catch passes and is really athletic. Uh, but, like, sub 4'6", speed is crazy. 35-inch vertical. 
really good agility scores as well. Just an overall athletic freak. But then the thing that he matches that with is really good uh, production as well. Where if we look at the top, I believe these are like the the, the wider. These are the tight ends that went uh, on the in the first, second, and third rounds. And it has their receiving yard market share per game, right? So uh, in each given year, how much of the percentage of receiving yards in an offense are these tight ends making up for, right? It's just a way of sort of uh, factoring out like bat, like pretty much Iowa. Like if you just did raw receiving yards, Iowa's offense is so bad, it wouldn't really, it wouldn't do Laporta justice. But we look at the percentages just to see, you know, how, how much of a market share of a receiving game are you making up for? And Laporta is the only one that can really go toe to toe with Michael Mayer. Like everybody else is really much more of a question mark. Uh, you know, athletic freak that you're sort of taking a bet on. Laporta and Mayer have been producing since they first stepped foot on a college football field. It wouldn't shock me if they both stepped foot on an NFL football field and produced. Now, when we talk about rookie tight ends, they are shaky bets in the past, but I think they, Dwayne McFarlane has a really good point here. Uh, he does the uh, uh, utilization report that we showed uh, in the last one. And he said, rookie tight ends that earn targets in college often display the same traits in year one. Why don't they succeed? Playing time. Last year, rookies to reach a 75% route participation. Kyle Pitts and Evan Ingram, 77% uh, for Evan Ingram, 80% for Kyle Pitts. Both finished top 12. Sam Laporte to the clear one on a thin Lions depth chart. So what he's saying is the reason that a lot of rookie tight ends don't succeed is because they're not getting on the field, right? It's not really a talent question or anything like that. It's just they're usually splitting snaps or splitting routes on another tight end. The reason to be in on Sam Laporte is because the college profile is really good. And then it's also that he's probably going to be the starting tight end and he's going to get the requisite amount of routes and snaps that you need for rookie tight end to be relevant. Where it says, uh, this was the uh, after the preseason game, but it says, uh, it's PFF's like breakdown of what happens after every preseason game. They said, Sam Laporta is already the Lions starting tight end. Laporta played the clear majority of snaps with the starters over the team's other top players. While starters at several positions got the night off, there were no notable tight ends who didn't play. Laporta played during the first three drives, taking 100% of the snaps in 11 personnel and 100% of the snaps in 12 personnel with Brock Wright. He then took 100% of the snaps in 21 personnel. Both tight ends were replaced after the third drive by James Mitchell and Daniel Helm. This is the best case scenario for Sam Laporta. He's already ahead of everyone else. And the time the Lions plan take him off the field is during likely run situations. Typically, we shouldn't read too much into rookies playing further down the depth chart, but when a rookie is starting in the first week of the preseason ahead of all the veterans, they're very, very likely to have a role during the regular season. So that's really exciting. It seems like he's going to be the starting tight end. It seems like he should be in that, you know, Kyle Pitts, Evan Ingram, 77% plus route participation area, which is really exciting. And then on top of that, we talk about this all the time, but Andrew Cooper, one of the, the best tight end guys out there in my eyes, I think that his, uh, his Twitter name is Coop A Fiasco. Uh, like Lupe Fiasco, if you will. Um, and he always brings up this point, but I want to hammer it home. He said, when we look at the tight ends that finish top five without being a top two target on the team, he, he always emphasizes you want to be a top two target on your team. He said, Evan Ingram managed to pull it off last year, thriving games where Zay Jones got vaporized by corners and disappearing in others. Then you have our best good friend, Robert Tanyan, and before that is Martellus Bennett. So you have three since 2014 of all of those top five tight end seasons, only three of them have not been a top two target earner on their team right so if you have what like 5 14 I don't know I don't know how many years that is but again only three instances of a tight end in the top five since 2014 is a really really low hit rate on guys who weren't top two targets on their team so you want a tight end that has a path to being a top two target and Laporta has that to me where after Amon Ross St. Brown Laporta in terms of you know fighting for second most targets you're talking about like Denzel Mims, Josh Reynolds, I think Marvin Jones. You're talking about Jameer Gibbs. Well, I love Jameer Gibbs. We're talking about a rookie running back who might not even be like the starter on day one. Uh, on top of that, you have 
Jamison Williams, he's going to be suspended for the first six games. So, like, the, the competition really isn't there. Like, it wouldn't shock me if, what, before Jamison Williams came in, Laporta had the second most targets on the Lions. It wouldn't shock me at all. So, he has an upside to be an every week starter uh, in fantasy football. I think that he's going to be the starting tight end in week one. I think he's going to run enough routes to be startable. I think that he is going to be squarely in the mix to be top two in targets, at least early on in the season. Now, our fifth player here is John Mingo. He is going in the 13th round. Another rookie. This time, he's the ultimate upside swing, right? This is the same bet as pretty much Marvin Mims, but we're taking on, on Jonathan Mingo, who has minimal competition, right? He's next to, like, Adam Thielen and DJ Chark, Terrace Marshall, Hayden Hurst. Like, these aren't really crazy guys we should be afraid of. And then you also have Bryce Young, who could have a solid rookie year. This is going to be a bad Panthers team. Maybe they have to pass the ball a ton. And if Bryce Young can be good, you know, sort of like... I mean, these guys were both first overall picks, but, like... Even Joe Burrow and even like Baker Mayfield, first, first overall pick for the Browns' bad team, he was actually really good his rookie year. So it wouldn't shock me if Bryce Young was a lot better than we'd expect. He came in as a, like, his only weakness, really, Bryce Young, is his size. If he overcomes the size thing, then he might ball out in year one from a statistical perspective, not from like a wins loss or like taking the Panthers to the playoffs. But he could support a fantasy offense, which is really good. And again, we want those wide receivers that can be hammers down the stretch and I think Mingo profiles as that now I will say I didn't love him uh in Dynasty my model doesn't love him but there's a big difference between like an early second round rookie draft pick and a 13th round redraft pick like he's pretty much free in redraft and I'll take that swing every single time on a guy like Mingo like we're talking about a guy 987 RAS what's he like six foot 220 pounds runs a 446 more athletic than AJ Brown like he looks like an AJ Brown Debo type guy which is really exciting now of course he could be bad. Like, he could be really bad. That's kind of the downside of a profile like this. But it's a pretty wild ceiling. And we're talking about the 13th round. That's all I really care about. Uh, again, 4-4 speed. He jumps out of the gym. The, the vertical is 39.5-inch vertical at that size is ridiculous. He took handoffs in college. And now this new Frank Reich regime that just got hired by Carolina handpicked him and, dra and drafted him top 40 in the NFL draft. So he's a pretty wild ceiling. I will say, even though my model doesn't like him, his comps actually came out really nicely, where it's Debo Samuel, Michael Pittman, Cortland Sun, and Chase Claypool. And of course, a downside is a guy like Greg Little. So there's not really any floor, but again, in 13th round, all I really care about is that upside. And you have plenty of kind of upside cases here where Claypool was a monster in year one, so was Debo, and then Pittman and Sun really came alive in year two. Now, we have our sixth and seventh player, double whammy here, that's going in the 14th round. The Chicago Bears running backs, we have Roshan Johnson and Deonta Foreman. And I know that Justin Fields likely is going to take up a lot of the carries. He's not going to check down much, but these are late round flyers. And with rushing quarterbacks, while they don't breed volume, they breed rushing efficiency. Chicago had the 12th best rushing efficiency on Football Outsiders last year, despite being 25th in overall offense. Like their run game was really dominant last year, despite all the struggles and that offense not being good overall. So if the whole offense can improve, right, with like DJ Moore and Claypool in year two and now like a healthy Darnell Mooney, if this offense takes a step forward and you can lighten up the boxes and actually make a defense respect the passing game, then the run game could just be absolutely insane. I, I think that people don't really understand how much a rushing QB really does help uh, the rushing offense of a team. Now, this is the only five, so the top five rushing yards per game seasons among QBs since 2010. And all of them are the only rushing yard seasons on a yards per game basis that had over a 60 rushing yards per game for quarterback. Now, this is pretty much Lamar Jackson four times and Justin Fields last year. That's how ridiculous Lamar Jackson is. But you can see 
that with these guys, the QB makes the defense account for an extra rusher on like read options, right? Where they now have to worry about the QB and they lighten boxes in a way where you have one less guy in the box that's going to be focusing on the QB. And you, it breeds a lot of efficiency. Like if we just look down the list here, Lamar Jackson in 2019, Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards were sixth and second in yards per carry. You had Justin Fields last year. David Montgomery wasn't efficient, but Khloe Herbert was tied for first in yards per carry. 2020, you had J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, both top 10 in yards per carry. Lamar Jackson in 2021, this one didn't work out, but that's because Devonta Freeman and Latavius Murray were washed. Like, that was when Gus Edwards and Dobbins got hurt. But still, both top 30 in yards per carry wasn't terrible. And then in 2022, last year, uh, Kenyon Drake was 27th in yards per carry, but J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards were both top 10 again. Like, these rushing QBs very often breed running backs that are like top 10 in yards per carry and inherently you can get a lot of efficiency that way and then if this Bears team which I've been talking about Justin Fields can make that Jalen Hurts like jump where instead of getting AJ Brown he gets DJ Moore and it's just on a like lower level and what that could do is it could just completely overhaul this offense they could score more touchdowns overall the running game could be amazing and then inherently you'd have a Miles Sanders type emerging running back in this room now most likely that's Khalil Herbert but I like you know Roshan Johnson and Deonta Foreman are essentially free I think they're both great bets to kind of benefit from the Justin Fields like rushing aspect of this offense where we look at Roshan Johnson he was a rookie out of Texas, and he is an amazing runner. Now, just ignore me highlighting Kendra Miller down there. Roshan Johnson, he's like the fifth running back down. Uh, he is a guy who was really good rushing the football in college. He was in the 94th percentile for yards at the contact per attempt, 99th percentile for missed tackles forced per, per attempt. Uh, his explosive run rate wasn't amazing, but he's making people miss. He's breaking off long runs, or he's not breaking off, breaking off long runs, but making people miss, breaking through contact. Uh, he looked really good. And then Deontay Foreman has been top 10 in rushing yards over expected per attempt last year. And then he was top 20 the year before that. He's been really good the last two years. So I just want to take shots at this backfield. Again, it has the upside to be like this year's uh, Philadelphia Eagles where one of these runners is going to absolutely smash. And I just want to take shots, especially again, because in this area, it is pretty much free. Now, our eighth player here going in the 15th round is Bryce Young. Now, in most home leagues, you don't really like you don't really have to take Bryce Young, but I think if you if you get into a redraft league, and let's say you go like you miss out on the elite QBs, and you end up going with like let's say a Kirk Cousins or an Aaron Rodgers, and it looks really ugly at Jared Goff, and like Anthony Richardson's gone by that point, I think Bryce Young's a nice upside swing. Like to me, he has more upside Bryce Young than guys like uh, Kenny Pickett uh, and Jordan Love and Derek Carr. Like he is, I think in my eye, like a really good upside swing where he was a first overall pick elite QB prospect he won a Heisman at Alabama he had 80 touchdowns to 12 interceptions at Alabama he's a really good prospect the only concern about him is his size and you can pretty much get him in the last round of a redraft league and if he sucks you can just cut him but again like once those like you know once you have to take like a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers I like taking one upside swing to have on the bench and I don't mind having Bryce Young there now maybe through like two to three games he sucks and you can just cut him right Trevor Lawrence Justin Fields all those guys weren't usable as rookies but we've seen before Kyler Murray was usable Justin Herbert was usable Baker Russell Wilson like we see rookie QBs all the time emerge as good players and I like leaning into the unknown of Bryce Young like we've never seen him play first overall pick clean prospect outside of the size and he actually rushed a lot more in college than you might think now PFF has so if you go to like Bryce Young's stats Rushing stats in college have sacks included, but I went to, uh, what am I trying to say? I went to PFF. I took their actual rushing stats where it doesn't take out sacks, 
And I found all of these prospects rushing uh, points per game in terms of fantasy, right? So Anthony Richardson's all the way at the top. Now, of course, making the transition to the league, your rushing points per game is going to come down. You're not going to be able to dominate these defenses the same way. But Bryce Young rushed the ball a lot more than C.J. Stroud, which is surprising to me. Because coming in, they were both kind of seen as like similar pocket-type QBs. But Bryce Young is in this area of like 4.6 points per game on the ground. That's actually a lot. And as long as he can kind of stay in that like Trevor Lawrence to uh, Patrick Mahomes, like, you know, two to four fantasy points per game on the ground, that's actually really, really good. Now, again, if he sucks, comes out the gate, and he's not good, you can just drop him and grab like a Tannehill or a Garoppolo or – uh, you know, try and grab next year's Geno Smith. But Bryce Young, to me, I think is a good upside bet uh, in the late, late rounds. Now, we're getting even deeper here. 16th round, we have Chuba Hubbard, our ninth must-draft sleeper here. Same offense. A lot of Carolina guys here that I actually like. Uh, and Hubbard, to me, similar to Jalen Warren, in that I kind of like betting against Miles Sanders, and I don't know that Miles Sanders is a lock. I, I know that there's been a lot of talk about him being a three-down guy, but he was quite literally last in yards per out run last year on a really good offense on the Eagles. Uh, he hasn't caught a bunch of passes since his rookie year in the NFL. He's now like five years into his career. And we see all the time these coaches like to use random pass-catching backs. We've seen in Seattle where they use guys like uh, DJ Dallas and uh, they use guys like Travis Homer. And we've seen uh, the Jaguars. Even in this recent preseason game, Michael Hasty was in the mix as like a third-down guy. Chupa Hubbard. Now, of course, a new regime comes in with Frank Reich. But to close out the season last year, he was the passing-down guy. He was like above... 75% and long down and distance. So that's third down passing situations. And then the two-minute drill, pretty much 90% plus. So he was the passing down back last year. Of course, Miles Sanders comes into the mix. He might change some things up. But Hubbard is a good pass catching back. He was 17 yards per out run last year. Miles Sanders was 70th. Uh, so it wouldn't be shocking to me if Hubbard was the PPR pass catching back on a team that should be in a lot of negative game scripts where the Panthers aren't going to be a great team. They're going to be coming from behind a lot of the times in the season. And it wouldn't shock me if, if Hubbard, again, was the preferred passing down back. And then if Sanders was to ever get hurt, he would get the rushing duties as well and be this all-purpose, you know, top 15, top 20 type back if Sanders ever went down. Now, again, it's the 16th round. We're drafting handcuffs. But Hubbard is one of my favorite handcuffs to draft. Now, the last running back we'll talk through is Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the man I cannot stop drafting. He's absolutely free, just free 99. And he is worth a flyer in my eyes. He was the RB4 through four weeks last year. And then he fell off, and then he injured his ankle, and that was it. The reason I like Clyde Edwards-Alaire is he's on the Chiefs. The Chiefs have spent crazy amount of draft come on him. They spent a first-round pick on him. They're incentivized to use him, and his only real competition is seventh-rounder Isaiah Pacheco, who we've seen guys like this, like Philip Lindsay and James Robinson, uh, and even like Michael Carter to a lesser extent. Guys, you know, they come out strong in year one, and then they kind of fall off. Any regression there, Clyde edwards will be knocking on the door. And then you also have Dusty Derek McKinnon, who's like in his early 30s, who's been hurt before and has like torn his ACL. It's not a crazy stacked running back room is what I'm trying to say. So to me, he has the upside to carve out a role and either beat one of these guys out or he's this dual pronged handcuff. We talk about Hubbard, right? The only injury for Hubbard to get on the field and be meaningful is Miles Sanders. But in this Chiefs offense, there's so many fantasy points to go around that He's this dual-pronged handcuff where if Pacheco goes down, Clyde Edwards-Lair is now the preferred between the tackles back and goal line back, and that's really exciting. If McKinnon goes down, Clyde Edwards-Lair is now the third down two-minute drill back, and he gets all of the pass-catching stuff with Patrick Mahomes, which is also exciting. He can thrive in both of those roles. Again, he has two paths to being a successful handcuff, and he's literally free. I don't even know in your home leagues, I don't know that he's even going to be worth drafting. He's that free. But Clyde Edwards-Lair, to me, is somebody I cannot stop drafting in these super late rounds on underdog. Again, the underdog puppy is out the puppy three I, I 
Maybe they do a puppy four, but I'm telling you, this is going to fill in a couple days. These don't last long. They're $5 to enter. They have the perfect beginner-friendly tournament on Underdog. So if you're new, make sure you check it out. Promo code RON. They'll match your deposit up to $100. And as always, you can find the link in the description, comment section down below. I love you guys. Thank you for watching. And I will see y'all in the next one. Stones, uh, like this froze, uh, ice cold, uh.